Hey everyone, so good to be with you guys today. I'm sure you all got plans. And um, we usually wake up at about hoppers five with some kid going, it's Christmas! And then running through to the room to find what's in the Christmas stockings and all the presents. And so five children. And then, um, you know, you either spend a lot of money on a big present, which, you know, you can't do because you're ready to do that for their birthday. So then you get uh, like four smaller presents, but then you do the maths on like five times four, and you sit under that Christmas tree for a long time in the morning. But here we are. I love the Christmas story. I'm not talking about the story of Father Christmas. I'm talking about the story of Jesus, baby Jesus. It starts with Joseph and Mary trying to find a place to have a baby. And then there's the angel announcing to the shepherds of all people. And then there's the gifts from the three wise men. Although, did you know, we don't know how many wise men there were. It could have been eight wise men. And they see his star in the sky. And then I think the most important part is the part where Gabriel comes to Joseph in a dream and tells him about this little baby. And when Gabriel, not in a dream, but in person comes to Mary and tells her about the meaning of this baby. Listen to the angel's words to Joseph in a dream. Mary will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And then it goes on to say, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. But then there's the angel's words to Mary in person, where the angel says, greetings, hi. Can you imagine the fright she gets? Mary was greatly troubled, this person of light suddenly appears in front of her and wonders what kind of greeting this is. The angel says to her, don't be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. Um, I lost my place here. (laughs) Where am I? But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You will find favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of, the, of his father, David, and he will reign and his kingdom will never end. So what's happening when this baby is born, the meaning of Christmas is that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, but she's also giving birth to heaven and earth's true king, the true king of the world, the son of God is being born amongst us. I want to answer the question, what kind of king is this? What kind of king is this? So firstly, he is the king who comes close. He is the king who comes close. Have you ever experienced God coming close to you? So close, like closer to you than the clothes on your body, enveloped by his closeness. Um, I became a Christian when I was 16, and since then, I think it's safe to say hundreds of times I've been enveloped by a supernatural sense of God's closeness. But I remember two distinct times it happening before I became a Christian, or before I intentionally decided to follow Jesus. The one is when I was uh, 16 years old and my father had just died. I got woken up in the night and told my brother, my dad had just died an hour before. And I was, felt so stripped of the security that is my father. And I didn't usually pray to God for comfort. And I prayed, God, help me. And I remember God coming so close to me. And I just felt everything was going to be okay. And heaven was real and my dad was in heaven. And that's another story. But the first time I ever experienced God's closeness like this was when I was, I think, four years old. And I was lying in bed. And my mom was singing to me the song, Away in a Manger. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. The stars in the bright sky looked down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. 
Now, it could have been that it was just, you know, comfort, the comforting voice of a mom singing about a little baby. But I remember the same feeling of being enveloped, that whoever this Jesus is that people prayed to, he was safe. Because, and I knew this, because even though he might be a great big king, that he, that he was once a baby, it, it, it comforted me. And somehow, it was like I felt his arms underneath me. I mean, I, I know that Jesus rules the universe from a throne. You know, he's pretty fierce, he's powerful, he's unrivaled, he's peerless. But, but I experienced him as being so non-threatening. And, and, and then, as I've studied the Bible, you know, in the Old Testament, there, there's times when God comes close but there's also times where little Jewish children growing up in the Old Testament stories would have thought God is quite scary. I mean, there's this big mountain, there's a lightning storm at the top, there's this bright light, and they told God is, God is in that light, and the thunder is coming from Him. And, and here's the rule, don't touch the mountain or you will die. I mean, that's quite scary. And then they had, they had the temple. And uh, the temple was meant to be God's home. And then there was this kind of inner chamber, this inner sanctum where God lived. And if anybody went in there, they would die. <laughs> this is the story you, you, you grew up with. And, and, and in fact, God's name was so holy, you couldn't pronounce it and you couldn't write his whole name out. To this day, we don't actually know the vowels in the name for Yahweh, <laughs> because, because Jewish people wouldn't write the vows, it would be, his name was too holy to write down. So people were terrified. What a surprise appearance from a God like this to be a baby in a manger. What can be less scary than a newborn with his limbs wrapped tightly around his body? See, in Jesus, God found a way to come close to us that didn't involve fear. How would you if you've got a frightened child, how would you approach this child? Would you stand over them and speak with a looming voice? Would you get down on your knees? Would you whisper? Well, that's what God has done. It's the natural thing to do. So the first thing is, is what kind of king is this? Here is a king who comes close. But the second thing, we're already one third through my message. We're gonna be out of here in no time. The second thing is that he is a king who gets low. So he's a king who comes close, but secondly, he's a king who gets low. You know, sometimes we speak about people who are down to earth. These are people who are humble. They don't have airs about them. They're not pretentious. They don't strut their stuff when they walk around. They don't just, you know, assert their voice in every situation. They're down to earth. They're in touch with ordinary people. And, uh, you know, before Jesus was born, do you know that in history, the word humble was an insult, not a compliment? Well, Jesus was going to change all of that around. Um, I've sometimes seen um, these rallies with uh, Muslim people chanting, Allah is great, God is great, and it's true, God is great. And I don't even think you need revelation to know that. You just need to look at the universe and go, well, whoever made this is great. What you need revelation for is to discover that God is also little. <laughs> that God could come down so low, and yet this is the truth that, that Jesus teaches. Jesus is born into this world. He comes in quietly under the radars. He's born in a modest village. His, his crib is a livestock feeding trough filled with straw. His parents are the poorest of the poor. His first visitors are shepherds who are Israel's lowliest vocation. Here is a king who, out of love, removes his crown, sets aside 
his scepter, takes off his royal robes, and lives among the poorest of his subjects. Never ceasing to be king, he gets low, all to serve his own. And amazingly, humility, which would be scorned in the ancient world by the year, hundreds, of, hundreds of years after Jesus has come, pretty much the entire Roman Empire now thinks humility is a pretty good thing <laughs> because Jesus, you know, oozed this humility. It turned out that God is down to earth. And in fact, if you track back where in history, most people nowadays agree it's good to be down to earth and humble. Where did the idea come from? It, it tracks back to Jesus, to the king who, who, who comes low. So he comes close, he also gets low. And then my third point, he is a king who, who rescues us. He's a king who rescues us. Now, you don't immediately notice it as he's being born. I mean, he's a little baby, what, what's he gonna do? But you realize that something has happened that has sent, that's triggered a pushback from darkness. As Jesus is born, in fact, before he's about to be born, it's as though the doors are already slamming in his mother's face. Please, I'm, I've got to have a baby in the next few hours. Let me in. Give me a room somewhere. The doors are shutting in, he, in his face. And I mean, this is very dangerous to not have a place. And there's no midwife present. And Jesus is born to a teenage mom who's assisted by a teenage dad. He survives this, but soon afterwards, we're told that King Herod hears that there is a baby king that has been born and kills a village with a hundred children in pursuit of this child. And, and here's the interesting thing. Herod is actually a puppet king. Now, it's true that he's the puppet king of Caesar, but I want to propose is that, that he's the, the puppet king of the dark lord himself, the, whom the Bible calls Satan. Now, let me tell you where I get this from. I've watched many, my kids, um, you know, going through preschool, they would do a nativity play at the end of every year, and I watched my kids dressed up as donkeys and sheep and shepherds and wise men and Joseph. None of them have been Mary. Hey, uh, Ivy, you didn't get that role, unfortunately, but I mean, Mary is normally the star of the show, and she's holding a baby doll who's Jesus. And then we sing Silent Night, and we snap some pictures, and then we stand in a queue for a hot chocolate. And uh, there's a loveliness about this saccharine, a version of the gospel narrative. But no schools and, and no churches that, who've put on these nativity plays have ever read Revelation 12 into the story. Because if you want to tell the story biblically, you also need to throw in a dragon. Read Revelation 12. It's amazing. There's another layer of truth that's revealed in the birth of Jesus. Imagine this woman, Mary, in the throes of childbirth, screaming in pain with her legs apart. Imagine also that standing over the woman who's about to give birth is a seven-headed dragon who is crouched, crouched, poised, salivating, ready to devour the child as soon as it's expelled from the birth canal. I mean, this version, it doesn't make it into nativity plays, understandably, but it reminds us that Jesus was born into enemy-occupied territory, where Satan not only slithers like a serpent, but he soars like a dragon. And by the way, a dragon is a flying serpent. And Herod is clearly his puppet. I read this poem the other day, silent night, violent night, earth and heaven meet to fight. 
Why is Satan so threatened by this little child? Well, it's because he's no ordinary child. This infant is the king to overthrow all corrupt kings and the savior of the world, born not only under the shadow of a dragon, but also the shadow of a cross, the wooden throne on which he would wear his enemy, uh, sorry, wear his thorn, thorny crown and rescue the world. The other day, I, if we can put that image on, Mandy. Are we here? The other day, I, I, I looked at this amazing image, which I wish I could show you the bottom of. How's that? Oh. Can you see that? And, okay, one thing wrong with the image is that both Mary and Eve would have had much darker skin than that. But given that everything else is actually magnificent. Can, can you see what's happening there? You've got, you've got Mary consoling Eve. It was painted by a Catholic uh, nun. And in this image, you've got Eve on the left side, and she's looking downcast. And you see what she's holding close to her heart? It's fruit. And, and then do you, do you see if she's free? She's not free. She's downcast. She's also got the serpent wrapped around her ankles. She walks against the resistance of this serpent that had promised so much and yet delivered so little. And then you've got Mary consoling her. Do you see Mary's right arm is next to uh, Eve's ear, consoling her. And she's holding Mary's arm to a child that would be described, listen to this, as the fruit of her womb. Sorry, the fruit of her womb. Eve ate the fruit that enslaves, whereas the fruit of Mary's womb, Jesus himself, is the one who comes to set us free. Because if you look at the bottom, the most important detail, do you see that Mary is standing on the serpent's head? And of course, it's not Mary that sets us free. It's her son that's going to set us free. The Christmas story begins the story of violence that marks the life of the saving king who rescues us. The dragon misses his opportunity in Bethlehem. So, he's, so he hounds our Lord down to Egypt, then back to Galilee. He trails him into the desert with tempting words. And finally, after 33 years of warfare and repeated defeats, the dragon finally wins. The dragon who failed to devour the child in the manger swallows the man atop the cross. But in so doing, unbeknownst to this beast, he ate poison. For if anything will destroy the enslaver, it is taking freedom into his bowels. At the death of Jesus, there was a great rattling of chains. The links of evil that bound us snapped into a world held in bondage. The dragon was in the death of the Son of God, immediately freed forever from his captivity. Our king is a king who comes close. Our king is a king who gets low. Our king is a king who rescues us. That's the kind of king. And that's the reason that millions, possibly billions of people today, gather to celebrate with joy the coming of this child who is no ordinary child. <laughs> Can I ask you to stand up? Let's pray. When I was praying yesterday in preparation, I was thinking to myself, you know, the Bible says that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. But he's not just God with us 2,000 years ago, you know, he came to this planet and then he leaves again. He, he came to us to stay close to us and he gives us his Holy Spirit to be with us. And I thought um, what I'd like to do is just open ourselves 
to the presence of Jesus in this very room. And um, you might not realize it, but he knows all about you. I mean, he, he literally says in one place in the Gospels, he knows how many hairs are in your head. He's recorded your tears in a, in a bottle. I can't remember all the times I cried. He can remember every tear that came out of your eye. Cares about you, knows about you. He's a God who comes near. He's a God who, who comes close, who gets low. And he's the one who comes to rescue not just us, but to rescue you. And I wonder if you've got your own story of being rescued. I've got my story of being rescued, trusting in Jesus. I've got my own story of, of seeing Jesus stand on the serpent's head, the serpent that had held me captive. I've got my own story of getting free. And it's a story, mind you, that repeats itself many times over. But um, I want to ask Jesse and, and, and Gareth, I asked them to pray and see so if they had any prophetic sense, prophetic meaning whispers from the Holy Spirit of just things that God might want to say to some people in this room, and Julie too. Okay. Well, Merry Christmas, everybody. The thing that I actually felt when I was praying for us this morning was exactly what Taryn preached into, was that the story of this nativity story is such a story of love. And I felt like God, this is more of a, a corporate word than a one-on-one, -on -one, but I felt like what God really wants to do was to just give us the opportunity to invite him to come close and to actually have that tangible experience of love this morning. And I know that Christmas is a really beautiful time and many of us have family to see and people to see, but Christmas can also be a triggering time for a lot of people. And so if you just feel like you need an increase in that tangible experience of love that just comes in and gives you that warm feeling of knowing that the Lord is close, um, then I'm just going to invite you to put your hand on your heart, and we're just going to pray into that now. So thank you, Father God, that you are God with us. And as we just take a moment of stillness, God, we just pray a release of your tangible love into each one of our hearts. God, would you fill us up this morning to overflowing, that we would overflow into our families, overflow into our friends, that this would be a joyful day, that this would be a peaceful day. And God, I just pray that you would start something in each of our hearts this morning, whether we brand new Christian, not a Christian yet, been a Christian for a million years, I just pray that that increase in that tangible experience, that you would just come now and start to fill us. And Lord, I pray that it would even continue over the next couple of weeks. The Bible says, when you seek him, you find him, when you seek him with all of your heart. And the invitation, I believe, this morning is to continue to seek the more of him with all of our heart. And he is always faithful um, to, 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 to find us in that place and to increase that experience of love. And I just pray that each of us would be an experience of love to everyone we're with today as well. Amen. Morning. Um, so I just in some prayer this week, I just enjoyed reading and thinking about the mystery of the incarnation, which is God himself becoming a baby. It's, it's actually mind-blowing, and it doesn't make logical sense. And if we look in, in Romans, the scripture says, if we believe in our hearts. And um, I just was challenged this morning, I just wanted to share this, that we believe in our hearts, not in our mind. 
the incarnation and Jesus coming, we'll never really be able to grasp it in our minds. It's a profound mystery. But um, just as we're making the invitation to experience God's love, just felt to encourage us that we experience and encounter God's in our hearts. It's a different place to our minds. And um, I think a lot of our journey is to try and grapple with these questions, but actually it's the heart that receives the truth. And um, you know, maybe just as we pray and spend this time encountering God, just remember that our heart believes, not our mind. Um, in line with that, I, I was just uh, felt to read something I wrote um, a, two years ago about Christmas. Um, I've been thinking a lot about Mary, not just about how very unplanned her pregnancy was to her, but how unprepared she must have felt in a town that was not her own, with a partner as wide-eyed and bewildered as she. I've been thinking about what she must have felt about God, the God who had asked so much of her, but now on this night seemed so absent. Surely the mother of God of all people, should have been graced at least a room in an inn to birth her baby, preferably with an ensuite, running water, fresh towels, and a kindly innkeeper's wife to act as a midwife. Surely, if I was Mary, as I watched Joseph knock on all those doors and saw him turned away from everyone, I would have been the first to whisper, God, Father, why have you forsaken me? As the contractions grew closer, as the sky grew darker, as the indoors stayed shut, and with them, a rising fear that we are truly all alone in the universe. But I would have been very mistaken. You see, those shut doors were all part of a bigger plan, leading like a divine maze to a stable on the outskirts of town tucked away from view and yet directly beneath a centuries-in-the-making cosmic spotlight that was about to converge right there, the Christmas star, not shining on a fancy inn or a palace far away, but right there on a humble stable where heaven was about to kiss earth and set in motion her ultimate restoration and the redemption of us all, past, present, and future, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to this newborn king. May the God who was christened Emmanuel, God with us, be with us all on this day. And like Mary, may we know that dramatic interruptions and disappointments can lead to divine interventions. And I just feel like all those words, they... they um, God has woven this together beautifully to remind each of us that we are seen, that we are not forgotten, and that God with us isn't just with the world at general. He's with you and you and you. God with you today. Whew. Thank you, God, for your presence with us. Amen. Hope you have a wonderful day.